Thanks for joining us today. If you enjoy hearing stories of persons with lived experience and would like to support our efforts, join our Patreon team. In addition to exclusive benefits, you will also be listed as an anti-trafficking advocate on each episode of our podcast. Hi guys, welcome to the Persons with Lived Experience podcast, inspiring stories for unprecedented times with Dixie and Zona. There's this, this sickness inside my head that had me want a little more. And so I thought I should have a different girlfriend. And anyhow, I started um, having some behaviors that pushed all those people out of my life. Lost my dad, end up out of the house after my junior year. And my senior year, in and out of school, I dropped out for a while, sleeping on the streets, sleeping in the, in the back seats of people's vehicles that you know, I wouldn't know I was there cold Minnesota winter it's like we I had to figure out how to survive and that was all before I was um you know done with high school this podcast contains content that may be alarming to some listeners please check the show notes for more detailed descriptions and take precautions for yourself thank you I'm Dixie, and I'm all about joy, justice, and fair trade fashion. I'm an anti-trafficking advocate, mom of many, and passionate worshiper. And I'm Zona. I'm a writer, a speaker, a person with lived experience of human trafficking and homelessness, a tiny house enthusiast, and a serial foodie. With us today is Jason Lennox. He is an addiction survivor who found his own recovery after a drug overdose in 2010. He's a behavioral healthcare executive, founder and owner of two small businesses supporting organizations and individuals in recovery, and professional speaker and author who has used his story to influence hundreds of thousands of people in his 12 years of recovery. A strong member of the recovery community, Jason has advocated for change in the addictive addiction treatment industry at the levels of individuals, organizations, societies, and government. He's dedicated his life to helping our world better understand how to use authentic ways of being to transform the worst of situations into the greatest of assets. Welcome, Jason. Yeah, well, thank you for having me here. It's, um, good morning to you all. I have a couple of questions. The, the, you say you're a mom of many. What does many mean? I have seven children. Oh, wow. That is, <laughs> that's incredible. And I, yeah. I have a question for Dixie as well. You said you're a tiny house enthusiast. So do you live in a tiny house? I do not live in a tiny or, house. I'm sorry, Zona. That's Zona. <laughs> Um, but it is my dream to own a tiny house and, um, to travel. That's what I would really just love to do. Yeah. I love tiny homes and the whole minimalist movement. So my attention there. That doesn't work when you have seven children though. Yeah. You need a, you can't really get away with a tiny home, seven children. Maybe a tiny (laughs) home for each one of them. Yeah, yeah. We'll have like a compound. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, well, we are so glad that you are here and we're excited to hear more about your story. Um, it, it sounds like you've done some really amazing things. So um, why don't you go ahead and uh, tell us kind of how you got into the behavioral health field in the first place? Yeah, so that is a story that dates all the way back to really my childhood. I, I grew up here in um, southern Minnesota, mostly. I'm in the metro area now, but I'm from the East Coast originally, but grew up in southern Minnesota. Had some problems in my family with drugs and alcohol along the way. It just um, kind of trickled down generations, if you will. And um, my dad was, um, he, he struggled uh, mightily with with drugs and alcohol and he stayed out east and we moved out here to minnesota and, and my mom remarried uh, or married for the first time i'm sorry um it got together and so i have an older brother and then i had two younger siblings from the marriage and we grew up in a house where you know it was fairly strict there were just a, a lot of rules and a, and a lot of concerns and worries and um, just a lot of things as, as children that we experienced that, um, you know, kind of shaped the way that we would, we would grow up. And, you know, my, my mom and my stepdad and the people in my family who I loved dearly, incredibly, did what they could with what they knew then. And, and you know, they had been brought up in very troubled ways. And, and so um, that's, that's kind of where we landed. And, you know, as we experienced some of the, the chaos and the struggles in the home life, um, my mind really started to develop a, a lens for this life, which was really negative and, and always worried about what I was maybe doing wrong and, you know, had anxiety and depression and a very young age, even as young as nine or 10, I can remember um, thinking about the purpose of living and if I should be here and even holding a knife to my chest at such a young age, wondering um, what would happen or how that would, how much pain that would cause before kind of this life ended. And uh, that was really the majority of the first 12 years of my life. I, I spent like that trying to run from all the, all the feelings and all the things that were going on and all the trouble I was in. And um, I had an escape, which was school, a school I could go to and um, I could fend for myself and I could speak for myself because as much as I didn't feel like I was ever doing anything right outside of school, my report card was uh, the reflection of what I was doing in school and nobody could alter that. Nobody could tell me that I was wrong. So I really developed this combination of perfectionism with anxiety, depression, the guilt, the shame, the worry, the remorse. And um, yeah, by the time I was 12 then, I um, found drugs and alcohol for the first time. And of course, um, after, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, I, I've spoken to kind of junior high cohorts and churches. And I, I remember the first time I did that was seventh and eighth graders. And I was in a church and I looked at these kids and I thought, how is it possible that at that age, that's what my life was, uh, that's what my life was made up of, right? And, yeah. Um, it, I definitely feel that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so many, I mean, I think a lot, especially these days, a lot of us 
um, we have kids, we see the kids growing up, we see all the struggles there are, and it's, it's just kind of painful. So for me, and why I appreciate a podcast like this, it's, it's so, it was so important for me to start sharing about some of these things so other people knew that it wasn't so unusual. For example, if I was 10 years old and having some of those feelings, and I wasn't so secluded to my own little space and could hear that maybe it wasn't so abnormal for me to be experiencing anxiety, depression, all the things in the home. Um, I might, I might've had uh, some comfort there in, in conversation with other people. So uh, mm-hmm. yeah. And I think, you know, early on with the drugs and the alcohol, I had a high sensitivity. I would get really sick. Um, but, Again, what I struggled with as a child was I just wanted to feel like I fit in somewhere and belong. And so when I found this group of these other kids that were willing to hang out with me and, and give me their time and maybe some attention, even if it meant being sick, I was going to suffer through that. And, mm-hmm. you know, it, um, it, it turned into not being sick and then I grew the tolerance and I began to have fun. Um, I always say I'd be lying if I said that my drugs and alcohol, my partying through junior high and high school weren't fun. There was a lot of fun. That's why I kept doing it to the point right. where it, um, it caught me. But, you know, when I was in eighth grade, after I'd already kind of gone down this path, my grades took a bad turn. My mom divorced. So home life was a little different. Mm-hmm. Um, my dad came back into my brother and, and my life and um, he moved out to Minnesota and he was pretty sick at the time. He was 36 and kind of in and out of treatment. And the doctors even then said, you have the beginning stages of cirrhosis. So here's the deal. You you can either stop drinking and probably live a life like the rest of us. Mm-hmm. Or um, you keep going down this path and you'll end up dead sooner than later, sooner than you think. And, and you know, my mom said, why don't you just come live with us? I don't, I'm not going to expect any money from you. I don't care if you work. The only thing I care about is that you stay sober and try to mend this relationship with your children. Right. It was just such a gracious, gracious offer. And Mm -hmm. he, he was out for four or five months, something like that. And he ended up going back to Massachusetts. Couldn't just couldn't kind of get that thing going with that sobriety thing. And, um, he ended up dying just a couple years later at 39 from that cirrhosis. And so it it was a kind of a big turning point in my life because, you know, a lot of what you talk about is homelessness. And uh, my mom and I, we couldn't get along. And so after my junior year, the end of my junior year is when my father passed. I had built this life of sports and I had this girlfriend and I had all the things that I only ever dreamed of as a kid. And... Like there's this this sickness inside my head that had me want a little more, and so I thought I should have a different girlfriend. And anyhow, I started um, having some behaviors that pushed all those people out of my life. Lost my dad, end up out of the house after my junior year, and my senior year, in and out of school. I dropped out for a while, sleeping on the streets, sleeping in the in the back seats of people's vehicles that you know they wouldn't know I was there cold Minnesota winter. It's like we, I, I had to figure out how to survive. And that was all before I was, um, you know, done with high school and I had um, gotten a, a gal pregnant and that relationship didn't work out, but I knew 
that for my son because of what I had experienced that I would be there. Wow. And, yeah. Um, but, you know, the problem was I, I was suffering from an addiction and no matter how hard I tried, I wasn't going to beat that thing without some other kind of help. And I didn't even understand what it was. And um, that, that made it very challenging because, again, I was this intellectual kid who was very good at the sports and very good at the school and I could kind of accomplish what I set out to. But time and time again, when I ran up against situations like homelessness and struggling with mental health and wanting to leave this earth and can't figure out how to stop drinking and doing drugs, no matter how many times they threw me in jail, no matter mm -hmm. how many things I lost. And it just didn't make sense to me. Why? What's wrong with you, Jason? And then we have a world uh, that really tells us, well, it's not that hard. I mean, it, like your dad, if he just wanted to live, he should just not drink. And that's what I believed for a long time, right? Much like so abuse. That's so hard because it's it so doesn't it doesn't work that way. And the only people that are saying that are people that have never struggled that way. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean and what you deal with and, and the abuse and, and kind of the traumas and things that happen and people and that's the world I grew up in, in, in a household where it's like, hey dude, you just tough it out. You know, there's no time for like feeling bad or, and, and so all those feelings and those experiences and, and the, 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 the abuses and the traumas and things that I just, I kept trying to push down further and further without even knowing that that's what was happening is the drugs and the alcohol did that for me. And, you know, they landed me in a position where I was homeless and in and out of jail and got a girl pregnant before I finished high school. And um, it, it just was, again, challenging because the rest of the world, which I don't blame, by the way, because the rest of the world just doesn't understand sometimes. And that's not because they don't want to, but because they haven't had to or because they just haven't had a show like this bring them some information that says, oh, wait a minute, maybe it's not that simple. Right. right. And, um, you know, mm -hmm. so I. Yeah. Well, we kind of had a couple things going on, too, that maybe people aren't as familiar with in the Midwest, there's very much a farm culture mentality of there's no use of complaining. The work has to be done no matter how you feel about it. So there's no point in having a feeling about it. And um, you just work harder. If you're struggling, you just work harder. Uh, so I do think that that's definitely something. Um, and Unfortunately, in that culture, it's very common for us to expect men to be silent. Right. They can't have an emotion. They can't be struggling. They can't have anything else um, that would make them feel like they didn't want to stay on this earth or uh, that, you know, things were hard or difficult or having anxiety or, you know, questioning, do I belong here? Am I safe? Am I going to be okay? Um, so I, I think that's one of the things that really has affected because I'm from Iowa originally. And we spent a lot of time um, between Des Moines and Omaha and uh, the Twin Cities. So in that general area. But then um, the other thing, too, is that in the Midwest, it's very common for criminalization of homelessness. Bring Freedom's live anti-trafficking equipping event is coming up. March 30th through April 1st. Sign up for the Vision and Intention Challenge today 
You don't want to miss this. So even if you, and I'm not saying that you haven't done any of these things or that you have, but even if you haven't um, stolen something or whatever, it's very common for them to send the cops after you if you're sleeping outside or if you're sleeping on somebody's property or even in like parks or public places or whatever, for them to take you to jail, which begins a cycle of now you owe fines and now you owe fees and now you have court costs and it puts you at this deficit already when you were already struggling so it, it becomes like a poor tax so. yeah no and you know I, I think all of us are to some extent guilty of you know we see folks in those tough situations and you know sometimes the immediate reaction is oh you know and because we hear so much of the noise around us where people say well there are all these jobs out there if they wanted to you know uh, be not in that situation then just go get a job it's not that hard right and it's coming from people who've always had access to jobs and not run into these problems and had that privilege and understanding so uh, I come from where I ended up in high school it was a very small town farm town in fact we had four towns put together just to make up one school district and very much it a lot of the farmer families and they were um, pretty wealthy and they worked hard and they just thought that that's you know I didn't fit in because I came from this, this broken home, this, um, you know, I, I was like this person kind of, you'd call the rebel because I got into all that trouble. And, and, you know, ironically, it's like the, the people that looked down on me as I was going through those things, I've gone back 15 years later and here, and I would never wish this on anyone, but now they're experiencing it. And now they're thinking, wow. And, and you're, point earlier about talking through some of the, the anxieties and the struggles and worries that was that was very challenging to do as a child for sure because again I wasn't accustomed to sharing but also it was about fitting in and the cool kid crowd and you know uh, those those weren't parts of the conversation now what I found most interesting is I, I just in December published a memoir uh, of my life, the journey that I'm t telling you here to addiction and through addiction. And then of course, you know, the last 12 years of recovery. And as I did that, I thought there are two groups of people I want to reach. One, the first group, obviously people who might be going through this struggle so that they can hear and see, hey, we're not so unlike, we're not so unlike each other. And if we can relate a little bit, you can see what happened in my earlier years maybe you've got a chance at what I've been able to do over the last 12. The second group is this group I was talking about, who I'll call maybe the uninformed, that they, they just don't know. And maybe they have people in their lives that they just keep looking at saying, just don't do it, right? And, and, and maybe that group could be educated to say, yeah, it's actually not that, quite that easy. That's not what it's about. There's a lot more to it, right? There was some feedback I'd gotten from family, from other people who kind of read it, that created this third group that I never really intended to reach. And that was my cousin who, you know, is an example, never had any issues with drugs or alcohol. He doesn't really have a lot of people in his life who he would need to understand these things anymore. But he said, that was me as a kid. I grew up feeling that way. I grew up with the anxiety, the depression, feeling like I was always a failure and not being good enough. 
man, and, and he's, he's telling me about all the tears and it just was really neat. And my point in all that is there are so many of us walking around on this planet with something. We all are. And, you know, having the ability to talk about it has just been phenomenal for me. And it's helped me understand and, and just appreciate um, all the people in my life. So, So, you know, and, and as I think about, you know, I recently in December just published a, a memoir about addiction recovery, really my life leading up to um, addiction and then the active addiction and of course everything that's happened since then. And, you know, when I did that, I had in mind a couple groups of people that I really wanted to touch because um, it, it, it obviously the first group being someone who might be experiencing someone I experienced. So people who might have experienced addiction might be struggling because I knew I, I heard from the people who were there before me that said, Hey, I've been in your shoes and this is my life today. And it was only through that because I'd lost all hope of, of living or that there's any kind of different life. It was only through that, that I stuck around in recovery. And so I knew that I had to share my story. So when I'm sharing and I'm publishing this book, it's about, yeah, this group of people who might need to hear that recovery can happen and that getting out of the homeless and this cycle of just, you know, mental health and trauma and, and homelessness and addiction, that that is a, a realistic possibility. So that was the, the first group. And the second group, of course, we've been talking about is kind of the people in the lives of those that struggle with trauma, with mental health, with addiction and and the people who drive down the road looking at the folks sleeping on the side of the road, just, you know, thinking, why don't they just go get a job, right? That group mm -hmm. of people I wanted to touch too, because um, I've had good responsiveness when I've been able to present and share with people who fit into that bucket and just say, hey, look, this is where I'm at today, but it wasn't always like this. And this is actually who I used to be. I used to be that person that you saw on the front page of the paper. I used to be the person that you saw when you drive down the road and they're doing everything they can to scrounge up some change and get some money, right? And sleeping on the street. You know me as a different person today. I'm here to tell you that I didn't ever intend or want to be that way. So it helps people understand that there's not always, and most often I would say, is not the case that we intentionally put ourselves in situations where we're at a disadvantage or where we're suffering, right? It's life circumstances, these things that happen when we're younger. So that was the second group. Unintentionally, what I didn't realize that there was that there would be a third group that would come to me and say, hey, like, it's not about me struggling with addiction. It's not about me trying to understand about addiction for the people in my life because I don't necessarily have that. But holy cow, Jace, that was me when I was a kid. That's how I thought. I felt anxious. I felt depressed. I, I didn't understand why I was here. I always felt like I was falling short. And my cousin had messaged me one night and he said, I'm halfway through this thing. And, you know, you have me bawling over here. And this is like Italian tough guy, like 30 year old. He's not going to show any kind of emotion kind of cousin. Right. And, and yeah. to hear that feedback and, and it, it just was so validating and made me realize how close we all really are in the things that, that happen in this life. So, um, yeah, yeah it, it was, it was a very uh, eye opening to get some of that feedback. So I, um, you know, continued for six years after I, I 
that graduated me from high school somehow. Um, but I continued for the next six years just in and out of jail. I was in a lot of trouble and uh, had some felony drug charges. And again, it, it, the, the message I heard loudly and clearly over and over and over was, Jason, if you don't want this kind of life, then just don't do the drugs. Just don't drink. If you don't want to be sleeping on the streets, get rid of those other crutches that you have. And again, I was this kid who could do just about anything. And so when that was my, uh, when that was the request uh, from everybody around me, and, and mm -hmm. I coupled that with all the desire inside me to not want to keep experiencing that pain and to keep living through that misery. Um, when that didn't work and that didn't get me a result other than falling harder and faster every time, even more, it was um, incredibly disheartening. And so I just gave up on life. I mean, I was 21 and my, 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 one of my cousins said, man, why do you do what you do? with your family history with everything else going on, why do you do what you do? And, you know, I couldn't, I, I, I couldn't spit the words out to him, but I knew in that moment, I had a, an honest moment with myself that I don't know. Actually, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm done pretending to know why I keep ending up in the positions I end up in. And mm -hmm. while that was an incredibly defeating um, revelation, it was also, probably the best thing that ever could have happened to me in terms of finding recovery years later, because it was then that I said, I'm screwed. I don't have any answers. I mean, I'm going to stop pretending like I'm going to get better. I'm just going to end up dead from this thing. And I will just ride this out as long as I can trying to minimize pain and maximize fun. And that was the roller coaster of the next few years. And it ended with an overdose, uh, not an intentional, suicide attempt but i was in the hospital and i woke up and i'd been on the run for a year from the uh, police with felony warrants and so i knew i was going to be locked up again and, and probably for a while this time and you know they took me to jail and i ended up with one chance really at treatment they transferred me to a treatment program so i was finally willing to say maybe i'll try this thing that you all have been talking about for so long and um i kind of the rest is history. There's a lot that happens, but I credit like most of my earlier days in recovery were, and most of them, I didn't believe that there was a different way. Most of those days I only hung around because I heard people like you on this podcast and others sharing their story, being vulnerable and authentic saying, this is what happened in my life. And I thought, I'm not so crazy. Like there are other people out there that go through exactly what I go through. And this means that I might actually stand a chance because I can see that they have a good life going on. And so I, 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 maybe there's hope here. And so that kept me around. And, you know, I found the right group of people in recovery. And, you know, they helped me get on my feet. Because, again, I was when I went into jail that last time, I was, I say everything less. We talk about homeless, but I didn't have a job. I didn't have a car. I didn't have a driver's license, a social security card, a bank. You know, I didn't have anything but a bag of clothes, dirty clothes that I took in my possession to that treatment program. And so it took a lot for me to get back on the right path. And um, I ended up in school and, and got a four-year degree and got back into the addiction treatment industry uh, as an employee, not on the um, not going to treatment side. And I did that in 2015. And over the last eight years, I've held six to seven different positions everywhere from 
on the front lines, going to get people off the street, uh, going to, um, you know, uh, I, I chased a guy in a vehicle, I probably wasn't supposed to, but chased a guy in a vehicle across town because he was suicidal and I just wanted to stick close to him to be able to, you know, make sure we could point the, the police to him just to make sure he was safe. All kinds of crazy stuff happening on the front lines there. And of course, in my own recovery, working with a lot of people who've experienced a lot of abuse, a lot of trauma, things that, you know, I've been able to uh, help open up because the biggest secrets in my life relate to a lot of what this podcast talks about, traumas and abuse and things that I was so ashamed of. And I don't know if I was ever actually going to share those things in this recovery work because we have, you know, confession type work and all those things. But I had a guy who was willing to sit down with me and walk me through that process. And he started sharing some of his stories. And when he started sharing some of that preemptively, I thought, wait a minute, these are the two biggest things that I thought I could never tell anyone because it would change the way that they would look at me. That's how I envisioned that happening. And this guy sitting across from me just told me the exact same stories. And so it opened the door for me to come back and say, that was me, actually. I was afraid to talk about that, right? And so being on the front lines, working with people individually was huge. And in the last four years, I've been in more of a management role and been able to drive uh, uh, organizational policies and procedures and work with our legislative folks and at the state level and even federally, like, how do we get in and remove stigma from people who need the support if they're homeless, they have mental health, they're struggling with addiction, and how do we mo- how do we make more regular uh, the type of care and compassion that we give these people? These people include me. They include most of us, and we just don't realize <laughs> that we're we're all like we're all a, a a situation or an advantage away from living that kind of life too, right? And um, I'm incredibly grateful that I grew up in a house that did put me at that disadvantage and that did send me down that road because it's happening to millions of people. And um, I, I'm just grateful to be one of them that came out the other side that can come back and, and, and try to do what I can to support um, other people in that. So I so appreciate this space and this avenue being able to connect with you, um, Zona, just to really, you know, talk through these things and, and help people realize that there's a there's a lot of bad stuff going on out there, but there can be a lot of good stuff too. And that's been my life for the last 12 years to be able to lead organizations, to consult. I have a couple sober homes where we have recovery homes or women who they're going to be on the street and they come in and we've had hundreds come through that maybe they don't all stay sober, but guess what? they might not have ever had that opportunity to be in a safe space because if we don't meet that basic need of housing and people have been there, I'm not, I'm not capable of thinking about what to do to improve my life. All I'm doing at that point is trying to meet the basic needs of life, which for me was, let me go find all the quarters I can to buy a bag of ramen noodles, crunch them up and try to eat them so I could survive for the next two days. Right. And that's, that's, um, it's so critical. So that's uh, a little or a lot of it about me and kind of my upbringing and, and coming through addiction and now dedicating what what I have of time on this planet to show other people that there's a way and to help it and to roll my sleeves up and actually do it, right? Because I could sit on the screen and talk to you all day. People are good at that. 
but what am I doing when we get off this screen? I'm going to go roll my sleeves up and get down there in the nitty gritty with people and figure out how we can make this thing work. Yeah, that's good. Well, I know that we want to know, of course, how we get access to your book, but also like, where can we um, kind of follow you, root you on that sort of thing? What does that look like? Yeah. So I um, am on, uh, most of the bigger platforms, social media, so LinkedIn, uh, Facebook, those are kind of the two primary platforms I use, Jason Lennox, but I, my website is um, jasonlennox.com, um, J-A-S-O-N-L-E-N-N-O-X.com. It really, that's kind of opens the door for everything else that um, people might need to know. That's where there's a dedicated page to the book that I just released. An ebook is coming out this week, actually. People don't like the hard copies, but... Um, not everybody, I should say, but that's just kind of the marketing uh, plan. But there's an ebook. There's also a lot more about just kind of some of the work I do uh, from a speaking standpoint, consulting with other healthcare organizations, and just working, um, dedicating uh, again my time to making sure that uh, people who struggle and are at a disadvantage um, get, get the same kind of attention and the same kind of care. So. Um, jasonlennox.com is the, the best place. It's a one-stop shop to really get all the information and find ways to connect with me. I would love to chat with anyone out there who might be listening and just want to know more uh, about our Minnesota landscape and just in general, um, what we can do to, uh, to make life a little bit better. Sure. Well, we are so grateful that you were able to be on the podcast and to share your story and, um, you know, we've already had several reports of people that didn't know that what they were experiencing, other people had experienced, or that they were dealing with, you know, similar things to other people that we've had as guests on the podcast. And even in, you know, the short time that we've been able to be here and, and share stories, um, getting that feedback that we're reaching people that didn't know uh, that their story was, you know, not that one in a million that's completely out there that's isolated and that's alone. Um, that's a huge reason why we tell our story. And that's a huge reason why we focus on that belonging. Yeah. Well, and I, again, appreciate it because like I said, if there were stories like this or platforms like this, when I was growing up, we didn't have all this podcasting business. Right. But uh, to be able to just check in on my own and not have to listen to all the noise of, what people told me I should and shouldn't be doing, it might have opened some doors to just say, wait a minute, there's a whole nother world out there of people who have struggled. And so I'm not so you know out there and crazy. And maybe these people can help, right? Like I, I take personal calls and messages as much as I can to just talk to people. Right? And, and maybe it's just that I need to listen and not talk. That's fine too. So it's, uh, I, I'm grateful for platforms like this and I'm grateful so that we were able to connect because um, I just love doing this kind of thing. Well, we are grateful to have you and um, we'll look forward to uh, getting access to your book. We'll make sure all the links are in uh, the show notes. So make sure you guys check out the show notes below and um, we'll, <laughs> we'll let Dixie unmute herself. <laughs> um, but yeah, we're Thank just... you so much, Jason. It was beautiful. I appreciate Thank you. you. Thank you, Dixie. This podcast is sponsored by Bring Freedom. 
to learn more about how to prevent and end human trafficking in your own community, please visit bringfreedom.org and join our partnership program. Thank you for joining us for the Persons with Lived Experience podcast today. I hope you're enjoying season three of these inspiring stories for unprecedented times. Please share with your community so together we can make more ripples to create waves of change.